Are you ready for God's word? Amen, amen. You know, I always ask that because it's up to us to prepare our hearts. Um, I'm going to ask our guys if you could put our, our, my time up there. I'm already showing negative two and a half minutes, so I, I got to make up that time. That was me on, uh, on, the, uh, on the back end of the, of the offertory. I start preaching, and, and uh, so you've already gotten the first point. But I do want to ask you if you're ready, if you remember where we were last week. Because last week we talked about the Father's love. And I introduced the Father's love as a part of our, uh, our Father's Day message. But the Father's Day message was designed to be preached in two parts. The first part is talking about the Father and the way he related to his younger son. And then the second part is the older brother's reaction and the father reacting to him or the father dealing with him. I, I want to highlight a couple of things for you, but before we go any further, I, I want to remind you where we were. We we're talking about Luke chapter 15, where Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ begins to teach the crowd and he uses three parables. The first parable is about the, the lost sheep. You know, Jesus says a good shepherd will leave what? The 99 in search of the one. He also talks about the father's love in terms of a, of a woman who loses one of her engagement coins. It's one of ten. She searches the entire house over and over until she finds it. When she does, she celebrates. And then he went into the third of the three parables describing the father's love. And he talked about the lost son, the prodigal son, the son that would run off and would come back home. And how grace found him on a collision there that evening or that day. Now, I want to remind you who he's talking to. Because now I've told you what the stories are. Now, who is he telling the stories to? Well, in, in Luke chapter 15 verse 1, the Bible tells us, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Now, the Bible tells us over and over that, that the worst of the worst love to be around Jesus. Isn't that interesting? They never felt judged. They felt accepted. He didn't, he didn't excuse their sin. He always taught against sin, and he was quick to say, go and sin no more. But he wasn't accusatory. He wasn't judgmental. He wasn't condemning. He was accepting. Why? Because you need to understand why Jesus came. Jesus said openly, over and over, I have come. Why? To seek and to save who? The lost. I came to those that are sick. I came to those that need a doctor. I, I specialize in the worst cases, giving them hope. Those that have lost hope, I've come to bring hope. And so Jesus is an exquisite, extraordinary figure. And so you have tax collectors and sinners. He goes, why does he separate the two? Because tax collectors are worse than sinners. We talked about that last week, but this isn't the only group. Watch in verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and he eats with them. In another version, it says, uh, in another passage, it says, He eats with them, he hangs out with them, he has a good time with them. <laughs> isn't this interesting? So he spoke this parable to them saying, you've got two, two audiences. You have the tax collectors and the sinners, and then you have the Pharisees and the scribes, the experts of the law, the self-righteous, the religious leaders, and then you have the down and out. And it's interesting because in this last of the three parables, 
He has a brother for each group. Let's just remind ourselves what the parable is all about. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, verse 11. You start the parable here. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Give me my share of the inheritance. So he divided his property between them. Now we said last week that this is a serious matter because a son coming to a father asking for his part of the inheritance is tremendously disrespectful. It's as if the son is saying, dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you'd hurry up and die because I want what's mine. But I want you to make a special note of the last line there. So he divided his property between them. When did he divide his property? When did he divide his property? At this point. At this point, not at the point where he's, he's about to die, but at this point. Okay, keep reading with me. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country where he squandered his wealth in wild living. Can I warn you that this didn't just happen? We said last week he left before he left. Why? Because covetousness had already taken root in his heart, and we have to be careful. You say, that's a, that's a big word. The Bible talks a lot about covetousness. Can I tell you, covetousness is discontentment. And this is the way discontentment works. You feel this little, this little void of discontentment that begins to grow. It begins to burn and, and you try to quench it. But when you quench it in your own strength, the only thing you can turn to is that in the physical material. And the more physical and material you put in it, the more it grows. And every time you try to quench it, the more it burns and the more it consumes and the more you need to give it. Discontentment keeps growing. The only thing that can cure discontentment is what? The love of the Father. And it's interesting because Billy Graham put it best. He says, in every one of us, there's a hole. And it doesn't matter what you put in it, you will never be satisfied. The only thing that can satisfy you is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is what fills that hole. And that's what Jesus is telling them. Listen to the words of Paul. I mean, excuse me, of Jesus earlier in the book of Luke. Jesus is speaking in chapter 12. Luke writes it down and he says, he says to them, take heed and beware of what? Covetousness. Beware of this discontentment. It will grow. It will consume your life. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. It's as if Jesus is saying, it's not about the things, it's about the relationship. It's about the relationship behind those things. In another version, uh, in the New Living Translation, it says, beware and guard your heart against this greed. So he takes his stuff, he's trying to fill this hole, and he goes out and he spends it all. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the entire country and he began to be in need. He was destitute. He was starving. He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. This is horrible for a young man of Jewish descent. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but yet no one gave him anything. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, we said that's the key there. He came to his senses and he said, how many of my father's hired servants, hired hands, have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. 
I will set out and go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went. That's true repentance. True repentance is not just feeling sorry. True repentance is feeling sorry and then getting up and turning around. I need us to understand this because in our culture today, people say, well, I'm sorry, but I continue to do it. That's not repentance. Repentance is saying, I'm sorry, therefore I turn from my ways and I head in a new direction. I head back to my father. And while he was still a long way off, Uh, The Bible continues, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. This is the thing. God's not going to wait for you to come all the way back. He just wants to see your heart turn. And the Bible says, when you speak to the Lord and you call upon the name of the Lord and you give him your heart, he is quick to forgive. He is quick to come. He He will enter that time and space and he will rescue you even as he did David. Because he's a good, merciful God. I don't, I have, I'm having a really hard time because I'm supposed to be just reading it just to remind you where we were, and, and I want to preach it again. I'm so taken by the love of this father. And he hugs him, and he kisses him, he throws his arms around him. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. He starts into his spiel, right? He's like, I've already rehearsed it. I'm going to say this to my dad. Dad cuts him off halfway and says, I don't want to hear anymore. Listen to this. Servants, quickly, bring the best robe and put it on him. My son should not be dressed this way. My son should not be covered in filth and shame. And My son is forgiven. My son is special to me. I love him. Put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it right now. We're going to have a feast to celebrate. Listen to verse 24. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to party. They began to celebrate. Now this is where we start the message uh, on the second son. He has another brother. He has another son. He's the older son. And the older son was in the field. You might ask yourself, why was he in the field? Well, the Bible tells us that he was a hardworking son. So more than likely, he was out there working. He was taking care of his business. Watch this. And he came and drew near to the house. When he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Now, let me ask you something. When you work and you do the same thing, routine, day after day after day, and something changes, do you notice it? Absolutely, you notice it. So he draws near the house and he sees a different vibe. He hears a different vibe. He senses a different atmosphere. It's a festive atmosphere. I wonder if it had anything to do with the polka music that was blaring, you know, or the, or, or, I mean, I don't know what's going on. You go polka music. I mean, he was, they were dancing to something. Maybe it's country Western music. They were dancing. They were two-stepping. They were doing, they were having a celebration and he noticed it. And so immediately something begins to take place in him. There's two ways you can respond. You can either be that person that when, some, when you hear a celebration, you want to jump in or you hear that celebration and you just like. Mm-mm. There's two kind of folks. I'm the kind, I, I don't really need an excuse to party. 
You know what I mean? I hear some music, man, I don't care whose party it is. I'm just going to go. I can remember when you grow up in the Hispanic neighborhood like I did, there was always quinceañeras. How many of you know what a quinceañera is? It's a sweet 15. And so they would have it in a hall and they would have a band and there was always a dance and everyone in the neighborhood would come. And so this was the tradition. We would ask it at school, getting around Thursday, Friday, because Saturdays were the quinceañeras mainly. And we'd say, hey, anybody have an invitation? Oh man, I think my aunt or my cousin, they got an invitation to some quinceañera. Who is it? We don't know. We didn't need an excuse to party. Can't. Okay, do you think you can get a hold of that invitation? And about 20 guys would get in on one invitation. That, that's the thing. You have a party in a Mexican neighborhood, you're going to get a whole bunch of rascals that you didn't even intend. But, but, but this, is, this, is, this is not this man's attitude. Instead, he draws near the house and his heart begins to, well, let's just see what it begins to do. So he called one of the younger servants, the Bible says, and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home. I want you to consider the servant's response. Does he hesitate? Is he apologetic? Does he feel like, like oh, it's not going to go good? What's the response like? First of all, I want you to know who he's asking. He's asking not one of the slaves, but one of the slave's sons. So this young man is young. He hasn't been corrupted by the world yet. He's not into, well, I wonder if this brother's going to be jealous. He does, he's not into any of that. All he does is give a natural response, right? What is the natural response? Hey, we're happy because it's a happy day. We're happy because it's a great occasion. We're happy and we're having a great time because your brother's come home. And you can almost sense it. You can, you can, you can pick up the feeling from the story. What does the brother say? <laughs> he, he, has, he has an attitude. And he said to him, your brother has come home. And because, because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Now, I want you to understand a couple of things. The brother who was once on the inside is now on the outside. The brother who was on the outside is now on the inside. What has changed? Yet the response of the father is the same. What did he do with the younger brother? He went out to meet him. What does he do with the, with the older brother? He goes out to meet him. And the words of the Bible say he pleaded with him. That means with love in his voice, he said, son, what's wrong? Let me plead with you not to act like this. Come on, how many times have we pleaded with our children or how many times have parents pleaded with us? Hey, this isn't the right way to act. This isn't what you should be doing. And I want you to see the response. Watch it play out. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, 
who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. You killed the fatted calf for him? And he said to him, son, before we get into the father's response, can, can, can I just break it down in today's language? That's what he's saying. You have got to be kidding me. Are you serious right now, dad? This is a joke. What do you mean, son? No, 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 no. I mean, this is a, this is a stinking joke. He might have even thrown some other colorful words in there. He said, this joker comes home after he's been out there doing God knows what, sleeping with a bunch of hood rats, <laughs> spending our hard-earned money. No, the devil is a liar. Let, wake up, dad. I'm the one that's been with you. I'm the one that's been faithful. I'm the one that's been working. And you go and throw a $10,000 party when you haven't even given me a happy meal to have fun with my friends? You gotta be crazy if you think I'm gonna go in there with that joker. No, 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 I, I need you to feel this. And the father says to him, son, you were always with me, always with me. I want you to see the father's response, okay? The father responds first to his accusation that somehow the father is not appreciating him. And this is what the father says. He says, son, son you have always been with me and you have been faithful. I don't deny that. And a matter of fact, I want to remind you that everything I have is yours. When had he divided the estate? Sometime before. So what was left was the older brothers. Yet he doesn't realize it. Why? Because when your heart begins to covet and feel discontentment, nothing quenches it but the love of the Father. And yet it was the love of the Father that he was denying. It was the love of the Father that he was denying. How do we know this? Well, uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Read with me. If this older brother, in his response, agrees or disagrees with the definition of love, love is patient. Was he patient? Come on, answer with me. Was he patient? No. He was very impatient with his brother. He was impatient with his father. Was he kind? No, he wasn't kind. It does not envy. Was he envious? What was he envious of? He was envious of his, of his younger brother to the point that he couldn't see straight. I want you to keep that in mind. He couldn't see straight. It does not boast. Did he boast? It was, look what I've done. I've been faithful. I, I, I. Watch this. It is not proud. Was he proud? It does not dishonor others. Did he dishonor his father by saying, this sorry son of yours? Did he dishonor him by accusing him of being unjust? It is not self-seeking. I think that's all he was doing was seeking his own. It is not easily angered. All it took was a few chords. <laughs> and he was angry out in the field just because he heard the party going on. 
Watch this. It keeps no record of wrong. He had a record of wrong that hadn't even been listed before. See, we heard that he went out and did wild things, right? He went out with wild living. But this older brother had actual lists. He had names of prostitutes, probably. He brought up stuff that the Bible hadn't even listed yet. He's keeping a record of wrong here. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. You know what's taking place here, guys? I'll tell you, what, tell you what's taking place. Self. The self is a, is a powerful thing, and it can either, either lead you to Christ or away from Christ. As a matter of fact, in our fallen self, in our fallen way, we are prone to what's called selfish love. Now, selfish love is not self-love. I need to make this distinction right here because self-love is a good thing. Selfish love is a bad thing. What is self-love? And is it appropriate in a Christian's life? Well, I always go back to God's word if I'm going to answer any question. The Bible says, love the Lord your God. How? With all of your soul, mind, body, strength, and love your neighbor as your self. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians that a man should love his wife as he loves himself. So it is important to love yourself. So what's the difference between selfish love and self-love? Well, actually, selfish love is not love. It's not. See, to be selfish is to be the inverse or the opposite of 1 Corinthians 13. We just read it. Selfish love is selfishness. And this equals covetousness. What is covetousness? It's that discontentment we were talking about. And it starts first with God and then your place in relation to others. See, Selfishness equals covetousness, and covetousness equals idolatry. We'll see this more in a minute. Idolatry is false worship. Idolatry is false worship. Can I tell you something else about covetousness? Covetousness is the inverse of the great commandment. You say, what's the inverse? If you invert an equation and a graph... Let's say the graph goes like this and you invert it. How would it look? It will be the exact opposite down in this quadrant. You remember that? I don't know why I remember useless math things that I don't ever use as a pastor, but I'm using this one. So to invert the great commandment is to say, not love the Lord your God with all of your heart, body, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. It's to say, covet against God and covet against your neighbor. Covetousness is not true love, but a false love. Covetousness is not true love and true worship. See, true worship is the right response to God, a love response to God. Covetousness is a wrong response to God, a false worship. That's called idolatry. It's called selfishness. And so I need us to understand this because this is the fundamental problem with these boys. See, what the father is saying to the, young, to the older son is this. Son, I've taught you and you've learned well. You've done well in terms of work. 
Your work ethic is impeccable. You're an honorable person. You work hard. You take care of all my business. You're always with me and you're always learning. You've learned how to maximize our business and you've learned how to expand it. But the one thing you still lack is my heart. And that's the most important thing. Why is it the most important thing? Well, read with me what Paul says to the Colossian church. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. That means earthly things, earthly selfishness. Live at a higher level. This is part of the fulfillment series. We said that down here won't get you here. You have to listen to Jesus' words if you want to live a fulfilled life. And he says, put away fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is what? Idolatry, I told you. Listen to what else he says to his young protege, Timmy. This is Paul again. Now, why are we reading out of Paul? I need you to listen to me very closely. We're talking about true love versus false love. And, and Paul was entrusted by God to bring the revelation of grace to us, the church. And so Paul is telling us, every time you read his message, let me show you what true love is as opposed to false love. Because the world is going to try to deceive you with false love. And you will try to fill that hole and try to fill that hole and you will never fill it. The only thing that can fill it is the true love of the Father. Connect with God's love for you. He loves you this much. You can trust him. You don't have to feel like, like somehow he's going to give your brother more than you. Or that somehow he's going to take from you and give to your brother. What's for you is, come on now, what's for you is for, what's for them is for, what's for him is for, we can trust in it. Because God is good. Listen to what he says to Timothy. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Let's invert that. Ungodliness and discontentment is what? Great loss. Great loss. Listen to this. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we will carry nothing out of it. You know, it's been said, naked I came in, naked I'm leaving. Well, I don't know about that. They'll probably dress me up. Right? I'm not going to have a, an open casket anyway, so just throw me in there, baby. Just throw me in there. Let me go. I, I, don't, I don't view death the way some people do. I don't view the body. I don't, I don't get all sad when somebody dies. I mean, it's just, it's just let's, let's move on to the next thing. She told, I, I told her one time, they laughed. They I, because I told her one time, I said, if I get old and see now and I can't function, just go take me to Yellowstone and leave me there. Just leave me there. I'm ready to go see the Lord. I want to be somewhere beautiful. Some of you are going, he's crazy. I, I'm just reading the scripture to you. Here we go. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many false and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many arrows. See, the truth of the matter is discontentment comes from the enemy. Covetousness comes from the enemy. It's what he did to God in heaven. That little root began to take, take root and, and grow and, and it'll affect your vision. 
How will it affect your vision? Well, I'll tell you, it affected the older brother's vision. He was once in the house looking out. Now he's outside the house looking in. It will change your perspective is what I'm trying to tell you. It will change your heart. When you start getting discontent, you will start viewing God a different way. No longer will you have gratitude, but instead you'll have envy and strife. You'll have complaining. Gratitude is the opposite of that. Not only will it change your, uh, affect your vision, but it will affect your relationship with God. Not only will it affect your relationship with God, it will affect your relationship with others. This root, this seed of covetousness, of discontentment, it affected the older brother's relationship with the father. When the younger son came and said, give me what's mine, it affected his relationship with the father. It only, not only affected his relationship with the father, it affected his relationship with his brother in both cases. But not only does it affect your relationship with others, it sets you up to fall. Now, in case you're wondering what the older brother really was asking the father, it's found in Deuteronomy 21. Read with me, Deuteronomy 21. If a man has a, a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, now I see some moms and dads already taking note of this verse. If I have a son like this, what do I do? Well, this is what the Bible tells you to do. When you have chastened him, he will not heed you. Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city, to the, city, to the gate of this city. And they shall say to the elders of this city, this son of ours is stubborn. He's rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of that city shall stone him to death with stones. What? Now this is what the older brother is telling the dad. He's saying, no, no, you are not just. Because the law says we shouldn't be doing this. Can I tell you? If you want to talk about justice, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God has forgiven us all. True love realizes, God, your love is perfect for me. And there's enough to go around. It sets you up for a fall. What kind of fall? The same kind of fall that happened in heaven at the very beginning. We have in the book of Isaiah a story about Satan. He's called Lucifer at this point. And Isaiah says this, I want you to think about Lucifer's attitude and how many times you hear I, I, I. It's very selfish. Not only is it selfish, it's covetous. It's false. It's idolatry. It's all the things we've been talking about. Not only that, but how many times does he focus on height, on prominence, on being above? Watch this. Read it with me. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, the mount is the tallest place of the mountain. On the farthest side of the north, north is always up. 
I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Now watch the name he even chooses for God. There's many names for God in God's word, but he chooses this one. I will be like the most high. Do you see his attitude? Stay with me on this because we can go to Ezekiel and see more of Satan's attitude here. You were perfect in all your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you, till that little seed of discontentment began to grow. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I will cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery thorns. So you say, well, what does that mean? That, that, read that first verse again. You were perfect in all your ways. Verse 16, by the abundance of your trading. Another version says, by your merchandising. Do you know what merchandising and trading means? In the Hebrew, what, what, what the Bible is saying here is this. When you merchandise or trade, that means you work for someone. Anyone ever work for someone as, as, as the right-hand person of a boss? And you were trusted and, and you were appreciated. Or maybe you weren't appreciated, but, but, but you were trusted. And so what that boss says is, this is the price we will charge for whatever service or good. And this is what you will charge my customers. When you merchandise or trade something that's not yours, this is what you do. You take the word of your boss and you say, well, he wants $200 for this service or good. I'm going to add $100 or however much I add. I charge my boss's customers. I give him what he desired, but the rest I put in my pocket. How many of you know that's not good? You say, but how was Satan doing this? The Bible tells us that Satan, Lucifer at the time, was an archangel. Many believe he was in charge of leading worship. We'll, we'll preach that here in the, in the near future. Well, when you lead worship, the worship comes back, but it's supposed to go to who? How do you merchandise it? You take some of it and you keep it for yourself. And when you do that, you're coveting against God. You're discontent. You want something. That's what he says. You used to be wise. Watch this. But you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of splendor. You know better than this. But you want it to be important. You wanted to keep my worship, my praise, what belonged to me. Come on, am I talking to anyone here? The son should have realized everything I have is from my father anyway. It's supposed to pass through him to me. So if he chooses to do what he wants, how he wants, when he wants, the way he wants, was it it? What difference is it to me? I'm counting things that I shouldn't be counting because it's not. Oh, come on now. Everything I have is because of him. It, it, this, is, this is big because, because the way a, a, a son or, a, excuse me, the way a brother should look at a brother is more like this. Check out this video and then we'll be done. 
It's one of my favorite movies, by the way. At that moment, I knew, surely and clearly, that I was witnessing perfection. Unbelievable, he tells his brother. You can see it in his face. He's celebrating. If you know the movie, this is after his brother's run off and done a number of things to bring reproach on the family, but yet he's, he's welcomed back with love. And his older brother just admires him. There's a time to admire and to celebrate others. And, and the father was teaching the son in the field that day, there's more to life than just stuff, man. The truth is you won't be able to take any of this with you. The thing you'll take with you is the relationship with me and your brothers. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, I'm going to share one more one more passage, it's out of the book of 2 Kings, and it's a story that I think you'll relate to about what we've been talking about, this discontentment, this little seed, if you're not careful, can cloud your vision, it can affect your vision, it can affect your relationship with your father, it can affect your relationship with your brothers, and it can cause you to fall. Watch this. Now, Naaman was a commander of the army for the king of Syria. He was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, the king, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. So Syria was stronger than Israel in this case because of this honorable commander in the Syrian army. And the Lord was humbling Israel through Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. 
Now, the Bible tells us that they had captured a young Jewish girl, and he, she was working in this commander's house. The Jewish girl began to respect the commander to the point that he, she told him, if only you could see the prophet in Israel, he could heal you. So the commander goes to the king and says, there is a prophet in Israel that I am told can heal. So the king, listen to this, the Bible tells us, sends 10 talons of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 changes of clothing. This is a king's ransom to the king in Israel with a letter saying, I am told that you can heal my servant's leprosy. This is what the king in Israel does. He drops to his knees, he begins to cry and, and mourn. He rips his clothing because he's freaking out. Why is he freaking out? This is what he says. He says, am I God? Am I God that I can do this? Surely he has set this up to pick a fight with me and he's gonna, he just wants a reason to invade. Elisha hears of this and says to the king of Israel, you send him to me and you and everyone will see that a prophet of God lives in Israel. So here comes Naaman with all of this, this ransom and all of this, this reward. And he, he rides up to the prophet's house and the prophet doesn't even go out to see him. The prophet sends his what? His servant. And he tells, he tells this commander, my, my master, the prophet Elisha says, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and you will be made whole. Naaman gets angry and he leaves in a huff. Why? Because he says to himself, who am I? Come all this way. I bring a king's ransom and he doesn't even come out to see me. I thought surely he would come out and stand before me and wave his hands and call upon the name of his God and do something miraculous and spectacular. But yet he asked me to go wash in a dirty river. Surely there are, there are many rivers in Syria and Damascus nicer than this. It's like if someone told you go wash in the Colorado and you're from, and you're from Colorado State. <laughs> and, and they're asking you to wash in this Colorado. They'd be like, no, 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 no. And so one of the commander's servants peers into him and taps and says, sir, you came down here fully wanting to do whatever the man of God asked you to do. If he had asked you to do something extraordinary, you would have done it. But because he asked you to do something simple, you, you're upset. Why don't you do it? So he goes and he does it and he comes out smooth as a baby's bottom. Bible says as a newborn baby. Come on. How about that for a night cream? Man, ladies, what would you pay for that? What wouldn't you pay for that? And so he goes back to the prophet and he insists to give him the reward. The prophet says, no, I cannot take a thing. And then the Bible tells us, verse 20, but Gehazi, Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God, thought to himself, the Bible says he thought in his heart, covetousness. It is not right that my, my master sent away this man with all that reward. 
I will go to him. So he catches up to him on the road. Quickly, he catches up to him on the road. When the commander sees him coming, he stops his whole caravan. He jumps off the chariot and he says, what, what, is something wrong? He says, no, no, nothing's wrong. But my master has changed his mind. He has two servants that we didn't know were coming and they've come from the mountains of Ephraim. They're prophets and we would like to be able to give them something. Can we have, he says, I'll do better. I'll double it. So he gives him he takes it home, he hides it, and once everything's done, he shows himself to his master. His master, can I help you with anything? The prophet of the Lord says, servant, son, loved one, we know this because he says, you, you are my heart. He says, where have you been? This man says, I haven't been anywhere, I haven't done anything. He says, son, don't you know? that my spirit saw you on the road. The spirit of the living God gives me eyes to see and ears to hear. And I saw and heard your entire conversation. I even saw your mindset and how you planned to buy olive groves and vineyards and how you wanted to be rich because you couldn't be content that God would take care of you. You had to go. Come on now. And because of that, the leprosy that left him will fall on you. You say, Pastor, you're leaving me with... No, no, no. We live under grace. But can I tell you, you don't necessarily have to fear that leprosy will fall on you, but you're going to live less than fulfilled. And you will never feel that closeness that God wants you to have with him. Trust the Lord today. Receive the love of the Father and say, God, I trust you. I love you. And I can celebrate my brothers and sisters. Let me pray for you. Father, you see every heart. And you see those that are hurting and those that are struggling to trust you, Lord. And I pray that you would gently, even as you did, go out into that field in love. And right there where you find them alone, alone and scared and, and struggling to trust you, I pray that you would speak words of comfort to them. That you would remind them, you've been a good son and, and you've done well and all that I have is yours. You can relax in this moment and, and trust God's goodness. By the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, let us see ourselves as your children. Amen. Foundation, I love you. And up above, I belong to you.